Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers. The Old Testament book of Numbers in Numbers chapter number 32. Remember the book of Numbers is in the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. The fourth book of the Bible. We are continuing and getting on the downhill slope of our series of the life and ministry of Moses. And through it, we've been walking through the narratives, the historical part of the life and ministry of Moses. And now as we're reaching towards the end, we can see that things are beginning to settle in. They're beginning to make preparations to finally enter into the promised land. And we find our way into the book of Numbers, chapter number 32, and we pick up a very important incident in the history of Israel at this case. And so if you don't mind, as we pick it up, notice with me in chapter number 32, Numbers chapter 32, and notice with me in verse number 1. Numbers 32 and verse 1. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jazir and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Ataroth and Dibion and Jazer and Nimrah, and Heshbon, and Elena, and Shabam, and Nebo, and Baron. Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan." And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land, and For when they went up to the valley of Ishkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled at the same time. And he swears, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham." unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb, the son of Jephna, the Kenzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. 
And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness forty years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead in an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet leave them in the wilderness, and ye shall destroy all this people. And they came near unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle, and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel, until we have bought them, <coughs> brought them unto their place, and our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. And we will not return unto our houses unto the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the yonder side Jordan or forward because our inheritance is following, fallen to us on this side of Jordan eastward. And Moses said unto them, If you will do this thing, and if you go armed before the Lord to war, and if you all armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies before them, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return, and be guiltless before the Lord, before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But... If ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And notice, if you don't mind, in the book of Numbers, chapter number 32, and in verse 22, when Moses is giving the uh, answer to the request of the two tribes of Israel who wanted to stay eastward, notice what he said. He said, afterward ye shall return... And be guiltless before the Lord. Afterward ye shall return and be guiltless before the Lord. This is after they had asked permission. And with this we want to cover a specific topic entitled tonight. The permissive will of God. The permissive will of God. And if you don't mind let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And Lord, I'm very conscious of the weight of this message and how important it is and how critical it is that things are explained well, that they are clear, that they're at a place where people can understand what is being said and that there's no misunderstandings. We want to help people. We want to encourage them. We want them to have the freedom to choose you. Lord, because I know how important this is and I know how feeble and frail and wicked that I am, I recognize my own inability. And with something as important as this, I don't even trust myself. I don't trust my tongue. I don't trust my speech, my language. I don't trust my mind. I don't trust my thoughts. So the best I know how, I give them all to you. So you can do what you want and for you to get accomplished what you want for your folks here who are listening. That you could draw, draw them closer to you because of this. And that they would have a renewed determination to seek out what you would have for them in every area and every aspect of their life. Thank you again that we can trust you. 
and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this passage here, we come to a critical juncture within the life of Israel. Now remember, God had delivered these people from Israel from out of bondage from Egypt. And God's purpose had always been to bring the whole set of people, remember there's about two and a half million Hebrew people here, and to bring them into a land that God had prepared for them. He had prepared a whole land for them to live and to dwell. He had already prepared farms and vineyards. He had already prepared places for them to live. He had already had all of these things prepared for him. But now as they're preparing, Moses is still alive, but he knows his time is short. They've now nestled themselves to the side of the Jordan River. Two tribes come up to him and say, Moses, we know that God has told us that we need to go to the other side. But we've been checking out this land right here, and it's right next to it. It's not exactly where God said he wanted us, but it's great land. I mean, it is good for cattle. And guess what? We got cattle. So would it be all right if we hang out on this side? Now, this is a big ask. Is it going to be all right? Is this going to be fine? Is God going to be mad? Is it going to rain down judgment? Of course, Moses was expecting something to happen, and then they explained themselves. But this comes to a good question. We know specifically for the Hebrew people, God had designed the promised land, a land of milk and honey prepared for those Hebrew people. But yet, instead of going to that land, they want to be over here. Is this acceptable? Is there going to be consequences? And how does this apply in our life? Well, one thing that we have and that we're thankful for is called free will. We're thankful. God has designed us so we are not robots. God has designed us so we can choose. By the way, why did he give us choice? Is that so we can do whatever we want? God has designed it so we can choose him. Which worships more? Something that is forced to honor or someone that chooses to honor? Well, God has given us choice so we can choose to honor him in our devotion, in our life, in our decisions. And so there is a free will. But also, with the free will, there's always consequences. Someone said this, life is like a buffet line. You can get whatever you want, but you have to pay at the register at the end. There's always consequences. There's consequences for everything we do, both good and bad consequences. You're here today, and we're expecting good consequences because you showed up here today. There's consequences for all of our actions. Some of them are small, some of them are large, but there's always consequences for our actions. And so therefore, all of our actions have weight. They have meaning. They have importance to it. So when we consider this, we want to understand what is right, what is permissible, what are the consequences, and how do you know what's what? And that's the question I get all the time. How do I know? Well, that's a good question, and we want to cover that. Now, before we start anything, let me tell you that the guidebook to all of our life is his word. 
This is how he directs our path. This is how he clearly puts the boundaries. What's right, what's wrong. This tells us what he wants and what he doesn't want. This gives us the direction we need. And you cannot and will not find God's will outside of the principles and commandments he gives us here. So we understand that this is our only source of faith and practice. This is how we get our direction. Now within that, we still have some freedom. For example, the Bible will not tell you what color shirt to wear tonight. All right? You, you have freedom in the things that you have. We're not automatons. God wants us to enjoy life. And some of you enjoy different color shirts. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we don't have to look the same or dress the same? We don't have to have the same hair. Because God's made us unique. He's made us different. We have different tastes. Some of you like Mexican food. Some of you prefer Chinese food. Some of you drop it all for pizza. You understand? We have some freedoms inside of our... The Bible doesn't say, Thou shalt not have pineapple on your pizza. All right? So we understand... That there is some freedom of choices that we have. But there are things that we have that we can still get direction for God on. And some of them are even small things in our life that we can have God's good and perfect and acceptable will. We can have God's permissive will or we could just ignore the whole thing. Now these are the questions that we want to address here tonight. Now, the first thing is we try to define our terms and we want to understand what's what. The first thing I want to describe and define to you is the directed or general will of God. Now, both of those terms are used for the same idea. Some people will say God's directed will. That means he's specifically directed. Or some people would say God's general will, meaning that this is a will for every single person. If you are alive, if you are a person, God has a general will that he expects every single person to perform, to go through. All right? So we know that those are things here. There are certain things that God desires or wills for every person. (laughs) And to go against this will is to sin against God. And those are consequences. For example, in the Bible we have what is called commandments. This is very clear declarative statements. Thou shall do. Thou shall not. All right, those are commandments. The most obvious are the Ten Commandments, right? We have a list of Ten Commandments. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not bear false witness. Thou shall not steal. You understand? Those are clear commandments. You could say, this is what it says in this verse. And word for word, it's a commandment. Now with it, there's commandments, but there are also principles. Now principles are just as inflexible as commandments. Now principles are things that are clearly described in the Bible. You may not have one verse that clearly definitively states it, but you have enough passages that clearly directs this is the principle here. Those are just as inflexible. This is God's will. He gives those things in principle form, those, if we break those, we also sin against God. He gives those principles. For example, there's not a specific commandment, thou shall read your Bible. 
All right? You can't find that in a specific verse. However, there is enough verses in there that it gives the principle that you are to read your Bible all the time. Okay? And if you choose not to read your Bible, then you are sinning against God. You make, does that make sense? So that is a principle that we find in the Bible. That this is what we're supposed to do. And there are many principles. There are many commandments and there's many principles. Now if we disobey against a commandment. Or if we disobey against a principle. Then we are not right with God. Alright for example. The Bible says thou shall not steal. That's a clear commandment. Everyone could understand that. You could go to a little kid. Thou, don't steal. Do you understand that? Uh-huh. What does that mean? Don't take things. All right? They understand that. So, if I decide that when someone's not looking, and I go look into someone's wallet and go, Hey, it's left here. It's open season. I'll take this for myself. Am I right with the Lord? No, because I've broken God's commandment, and that commandment covers everyone. Is there a scenario where it is acceptable to steal? No. Now, in our minds, we like to make things complicated, and we like to say, what if, what if, but there is not. Is there any? Now, again, this may shatter your worldview because Americans are liars, but is there any scenario where it is acceptable unto God to lie? No. Okay? And so if I lie, all right, my boss says, what are you doing? Are you working? Yes. And I've been playing on my computer the whole time. Is that lie? Yes. Am I right with the Lord when I did that? No. Okay? So we're trying to take it simple here. So God's commandments and God's principles, there are general principles that cover every person. And when you break these commandments, you break these principles, you are not right with God because they are clearly stated, clearly explained, this is what God wants you to do. So the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We would say, that's uh, the wording of it, the principle that we'd say, God says go to church. All right? That's a principle. So if someone had the choice, you're not working, you're not sick, you just decided, ah, I'm not going to go, are you right with God? No. So we understand it's God's principle, okay? I'm being specific on purpose because I want to help. Because there's going to be a difference between God's general will and God's good and perfect acceptable will. And the consequences are different. So whenever we break something of God's general will, it breaks our fellowship. Meaning that we're no longer right with God. There's something between me and God. And that has to be fixed if I, keep, if I want to have a good fellowship with God. Does that make sense? Here's another one. Turn with me if you don't mind. And let's look at something that is dealing with God's general will. We're turning back to numbers here in just a bit. But we're going to be looking at quite a few passages. Because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see what the Bible has to say. Because it's God's word that matters. Turn with me to the book of First, or Second Peter chapter number 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3.
Again, what we're covering right now in this very specific is what is called God's directed, meaning that God is directed, God has clearly said it, or God's general will, meaning that this is God's will for every person. It doesn't matter where they live at, where they're at, what time they lived at, what century they lived at, this is God's general directed will for every single person who ever lived. All right, so notice with me in the book of 2 Peter chapter number 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3, towards the end of your Bible, the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. That's just a fancy way of saying that God keeps his promises. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us word. Notice this, not willing that any shall perish or go to that awful place called hell, but that they should come to repentance, that all should come to repentance. All right, so here we have a statement here. The principle that we draw here is that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. God wants every person to be saved. Now, what does it mean to be saved? Well, first of all, we have to understand the truth. The first truth is that I'm a sinner. And by the way, you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. That's why we have the Ten Commandments. If you haven't figured it out yet, the Ten Commandments, you cannot live to it. You said, why not? Well, the Bible says, thou shall not bear false witness. Don't tell lies. Well, let's see how many of us have broken that commandment. If you've ever told a lie, raise your hand. All right? So if you look, we've all lied. Every single one of us. I'm the pastor of the church and I raised my hand. I've told lies. Well, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments, to honor thy father and thy mother. We could summarize it like this, uh, to obey your folks. Well, let's test this. How many of you have ever disobeyed your folks? Right? Uh, parents are looking at their kids to make sure they're raising their hand. We've all broken that. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come sh short of the glory of God. What does all mean? All. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. By the way, that means you. You're not righteous either. You know what the Ten Commandments do? Is they tell us where we've fallen short. The Ten Commandments show us, I've broken God's commandment. And we said before, what happens if we break one of God's commandments? Then that fellowship between us and God are broken. We are no longer right with God because we've broken what he clearly said. Don't do that. And we did it anyways. Does that make sense? So we've sinned against God. The Bible also says, for the wages of sin is death. The word wage is what we would say payment or reward. For example, when you go to work, you earn money. Because you work, you earn money. That's called a wage or a payment. The Bible says for the wages of sin, so the payment, the reward I get because I sin, what's a sin? It's breaking God's law. Because I told a law, lie, I owe God a wage or a payment. Because I disobeyed my folks, I owe God a wage or a payment. For the wages of sin is death. That word death literally carries the idea of separation. For example, if we had a funeral here, we would have a casket, and inside of the casket we would have a body. But we would say that person is dead. Why? Because their body is here, but their soul is separated out. Does it make sense? Well, the Bible says because of us, our sin, we deserve to be separated from God. We deserve to be kept away from God. And when you die, unfortunately, there's only two places to go. 
either a wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. And because of our sin, we don't deserve to go to heaven. So by default, there's no other place to go. Do you know that God never created hell to punish uh, humans? He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. But man goes there by default because there's nowhere else to go. You say, preacher, this isn't very good news. But let me tell you what the good news is. That God didn't want you to go to that awful place called hell. So what he did is he arranged it so you can get out of hell. So you don't even have to go there. So what God did is he robed himself in flesh and came down on this earth and lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks. And then Jesus died for us. He died on the cross to pay for your price and to pay for mine. To pay for that wage that was owed. That's why the verse is finished off in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Jesus died and was buried on a borrowed tomb. And on the third day he rose again. And when Jesus rose again, it proved two things. It proved first of all that Jesus was God. And it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. And that all you have to do to go to heaven is to accept that free gift. For example, if I was to pass you out a gift, let's say that I was to give you a um, <coughs> candy or a reward, just something. Now, would you have to pay me money for it? No. Would you have to mow my lawn? No. You didn't have to be nice to me. All you did was take it, right? If, you get, if I gave you a gift, all you had to do was take it. The same thing's true about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't even have to help little old ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things we ought to do. But those things don't save us. What saves us is that Jesus paid our price. And all you have to do is accept that gift. This is why the Bible says that God is not willing that any shall perish. But all should have everlasting life. God made it so everyone could go to heaven. If God said, in order to go to heaven, you have to go to church every Sunday without fail. Well, most of us couldn't claim that. We'd be out of luck, wouldn't we? If God said, in order to go to heaven, you had to pay a million dollars. Well, we wouldn't be able to make it. We don't have millionaires here. We don't even have thousandaires here. You understand God made it so anyone and everyone can go. Because he's not willing that any shall perish. And so everyone has to accept that gift for themselves. That is God's good and perfect and acceptable will. Is that he's not willing that any shall perish. He wants everyone to get saved. There's not a single person where God will say, listen here. I don't like you. I don't want you in heaven. Too bad. No, no gift for you. I don't like your hair. You can't make it. God says, I'll take anyone. That's why John 3.16 is one of the most famous Bible verses in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me tell you what God's will for every person. For you to know for sure that you're... If you were to die, that you would go to heaven. 
God's will for every person is for them to know without a doubt that their sins are forgiven. And by the way, if you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, let me tell you the greatest thing that could happen tonight is for me to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt and get that settled. Let me tell you, dear friend, what God's will for you is tonight, that if you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, for you to have that settled before you walk out the doors tonight. That is God's will for you. And I'd be glad to show you more from the Bible about that. Make sure that you know, that you know, that you know. And you understand if someone sins against that gift, they're sinning against God because he provided it for you. God wants everyone to have that gift. It doesn't matter who you are. That is God's direct or general will is he wants everyone to be saved. But now let's go back to the nuts and bolts of this. Not only do we have a directed or general will, we have something that the Bible calls the perfect will of God. The perfect will of God. And God has established an individual will for every person. Now we know that there's a general will. God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to pray. God wants everyone to read his Bible. You you don't even have to ask, am I one of the people that's supposed to read my Bible? Yes. Am I one of the people that's supposed to go to church? Yes. That's God's will for every person, no exceptions. All right? That's what God's desire is for you. God wants everyone to read the Bible. Am I You know there's actually people who are taught that they're not allowed to read their Bible. If they read their Bible, they're going to go to hell. How horrible. Let me tell you what God's will is for you. For you to read the Bible for yourself. You don't need some spiritual guru. You can understand the Bible yourself with the Holy Spirit's help. God can help you. And God wants you to read the Bible. But beyond that, God has an individual will for every person. God has something tailor-made for you. And something that only you and you can accomplish Because God made it for you. Does that make sense? Let me show you some passages that describe God's good, perfect, and acceptable will. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter number 12. The book of Romans, chapter number 12, which all of our church folks know is my life verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. What's a life verse? It's a verse that describes you and what you believe. It's the the guiding passage of your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Notice what it says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice what it says, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's not three wills there. That is one will with three descriptors. What type of will is it? It is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. This is an individual will that God has for you that he wants you to prove. That means to put it to the test and have evidence of God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for your life. 
May I show you some more? Turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter number 4. Again, the Bible says so much about God's will that it's no problem for me to show you many passages. I'm going to show you a few. Notice with me Colossians chapter number 12, or chapter number 4. If you were in Romans, it's Romans, and then we come to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. After that, we come to the book of Galatians, Ephesians, and then we come to the book of Philippians, Colossians. Excuse me. Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter number 4. And notice with me at the very end of this passage, Colossians chapter 4. Notice with me in verse number 12. Colossians chapter 4 verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So notice this. Here is a man who is praying for folks. How is he praying? That they would stand perfect. That they would stand complete in all of the will of God. So here, you can speak perfect and complete in all the will of God. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Hebrews. So if you're in the book of Colossians, just keep turning the other direction. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. Again, I want to show you this. I want you to see it for yourself that God has a perfect will. Now that's going to be important because we want you to find God's perfect will. What is it that God wants you to accomplish? What is it that God has for you? Notice with me in the book of Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter 10, notice with me in verse 36. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Now may I ask you a logical thing? How can you do the will of God if you don't know what the will of God is? So therefore, we have to logically assume you can know God's will. And God wants you to know God's will. He doesn't want you to go around hoping and guessing, is this the right way? Is it, am I supposed to go here? He doesn't want you to go through life hoping or guessing. He wants you to know what his will is. He wants you to prove it. He wants you to accomplish it. That Here it says that ye have done the will of God. After ye have done the will of God. May I show you something else? The book of Hebrews chapter 12. You're in chapter 10 now. Notice with me in chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12, and notice with me in verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For 
Consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your own minds. Notice in verse number one again. At the end of it, it says, Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Each one of us have a race that is set before this. And by the way, in this race, I am not competing against you. And you're not competing against someone else. In this race, you are competing against your own abilities and opportunities. Every single one of us are made differently. And half of you look at me and say, praise the Lord. We all have different abilities. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different influences. There are people that you will meet that I will never meet. You have people in your sphere that I will never know about. You have different gifts than I have. We are made individually. And so the race that God has given to us is unique and different. And we race against our own opportunities. And we race against our own abilities that God sets before us. And it's a race. It's an endurance race, by the way. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And that's why it says in verse 3 that he wants you to consider Jesus so you don't weary and faint. The word faint carries the idea quit. I want you to keep running your race and keep running your race and keep running your race. And it's a race that only you have. You're not racing against anyone else. It's not a competition. Who loves God more? You are racing against your own opportunities and your own abilities that God sets before you. Every one of us have that race. Did you know that Paul understood that he had a perfect will of God? In fact, let's rapid fire show you some other things. Turn back to me, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And I want you to see this for yourself. Paul understood there was a perfect will of God for him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. For those of you who are a little bit um, slower finding this, Maybe for this part, I'm going to show you some passages, rapid fire. I want you to listen. Notice, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Paul knew God's will for him was to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. That was God's will for him. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Notice what it says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. The book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Hmm, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. What do you think we're going to find here? Notice with me in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior. Now, that's the same thing here. God gave him a commandment. That was his will. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. You understand, Paul had a will for his life that God had given to him. And it was something that he and he was supposed to accomplish. There was a perfect will for him. And we could see that reflected as he's starting these letters. This was God's will for me to be an apostle. The things that I'm doing, God has given me his will. By the way, that's why at the end of 2 Timothy, he says, I have finished my course. Well, how do you know that you finished it if you didn't know what it was? There was something specific for him to do. Peter believed in God's will. Notice with me in the book of 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. 
Again, I know I've got a lot of passages, so maybe you just want to write down the address uh, as we try to kick this going. 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse 2. For it, be, it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now, in this passage here, it's saying, guess what? If you're doing what's right, and you end up getting in trouble for it, people persecute you, guess what? It could be God's will for you to suffer even for doing things that's right. God has a will for you. And sometimes these things that happen to you is because of God's will. And God's trying to use that circumstance to get his will accomplished. So here it's saying that if the will of God be so, there's a will of God for you and direct it specifically for you. Even Jesus spoke about the will of God. Of course he would. He's Jesus and he wants you to follow his will. John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verse 17, which is one of my favorite life-changing verses. John 7, 17, half of you could quote it because we've been making you try to quote it. John 7, 17, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine or the teaching, the direction, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Here Jesus says, listen here, if you are willing to do God's will, you can know it and know it came from God and not just from someone else. God wants you to know his will. Why? Because there's a specific will for you in your life. Now, the question is, we've just got through talking about, guess what? There's God's will for you and God wants you to know his will. The next question should be, how do I know it? And that's a good question. How do I know what God's will is for? I'm so glad you asked that. Notice back with me in the book of Romans chapter number 12. We started there in this little segment. Let's go back there. Romans chapter number 12. So John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Once again, verses 1 and 2. How can I know God's perfect, acceptable will for my life. The Bible says you can know it. Paul knew it. <coughs> Jesus said you can know it. Peter spoke about it. The book of Hebrews spoke about accomplishing God's will. How can I know what God's will is for me? I am so glad you asked because the Bible has the answer. The book of Romans chapter number 12. Notice with me in verses 1 and 2. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. A living sacrifice. Notice how it's supposed to be holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, before we start on the mind, it starts with our bodies. That you start off by surrendering your bodies. What is my bodies? My bodies consist of five senses, right? Taste, touch, sight, hearing, smell. All right? And so each of my senses, I surrender to God. God, I give you everything that goes before my eyes. I will not look at those things that I know from your word are not pleasing to you. Well, that's the start. 
God, I'm only going to listen to those things that according to your word are clear that I know that are pleasing to you. Or I'm going to avoid listening to those things that your Bible clearly says I should not listen to. Does that make sense? God, I am not going to touch anything that I know that is not your will to have. That I know that your Bible clearly says not to touch. Lord, I'm not going to smell anything that your Bible clearly directs, gives the principles of not smelling. I'm not going to put in my mouth anything that I know, according to your will, has given me the principle of not to put in my mouth. You understand, you start off by surrendering your body. God, I'm going to do in my body the things that I know that you've directed. I'm going to do those things in my body or avoid those things that you said clearly by commandment and principle not to partake in, not to participate in. As I do that, verse number two, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I get the renewing of my mind? By presenting my bodies a living sacrifice. Notice also this, the qualification of your bodies. Holy and acceptable unto God. So many people have in mind that this is the way to serve God. I turn 18. I'm away from my parents. I can do whatever I want. And I'm going to ruin. I'm going to enjoy everything I can. Until my body is falling apart. And there's nothing left. And I could barely walk. And everything's ruined. And then whatever's left over, I'll serve God. God does not want your leftovers. Amen. He wants you acceptable. He wants you usable. Now, you say, well, I've ruined my body. Well, guess what? Start from where you are and move forward. Amen. Not too late. Start from where you are and move forward. But for those of you who are still young enough yet, let me tell you, God's got a will for you, and you could start now. You could start enjoying what God has for you. You don't have to have a life of ruin and wreck that God has to piece together. Wherever you are, older or younger, start from where you are and move forward. Take whatever you have left. Take whatever strength you have and you just surrender it to God and God will direct you. The Bible gives the principle in Proverbs several times that if we choose to obey, then he'll grant understanding. As you just obey what the Bible says, then it will be clear, oh, now I get it. But you have to have that willingness. Remember, Jesus spoke about this in John 17. If any man will do my will, has to start with that willingness. God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. He'll tell you. Does that make sense? Simple. So we have God's perfect will. Now, as we go back and think about what happened in the book of Numbers, chapter number 32, God had designed a perfect will of God for all of the Hebrew people. He had promised them a land, and he had desired for them to go into this land that he had promised them. But you had two and a half tribes that says, I know that's what God designed for us, but we were wondering can we be here? Is it all right? This is what we lead into calling God's permissive will. God's permissive will. 
Now we know that there are certain things in God's in our life that is a general will of God. All right. So if you went to God and said, God, I don't feel like reading my Bible. So for the next year, I'm going to take it off. Are you going to have permission to do that? No, because it's God's general will. He wants it. What happens if you choose not to do God's general directed will? Well, then you break that fellowship. However, there's certain things within your life that you could choose that you have the freedom to do. That God has a good and perfect will for you, but he also gives you the choice. All right, do whatever you want. May I give something specific and sounds mundane, but you know that you could even ask God, God, where should I eat for lunch? And God could direct you. You say, why does that matter? Who cares? Does he really care if I have Taco Bell or if I have a cheeseburger? Well, listen to this. What if I say, God, I want to be used by you today. So I give the choice up to you. You tell me where to go. What if God directs you to Wendy's when you really want it KFC? But it just so happened that as you were at the drive through window, that you said, hey, um, <coughs> thank you for my order, by the way. I want to give you this. And on the back, uh, if there's anything we can do to pray for you on, let us know. Our number's on the back. And we'd love to call. By the way, on the front of the question is my favorite question in the world. Are you 100% sure if you die today, go to heaven? You know, it could be that God had prepared. Someone had been waiting for someone to witness to, to pray for. I cannot tell you the countless times my wife and my family have gone through a drive through window. And at the drive through window, we gave her track. If there anything we could do to pray for you on, just let us know. And they hold up the back of the line, five cars behind us, because the lady's in there sobbing, telling us, let me tell you, I just needed this today. I just needed God. And, oh, I needed you to pray. And they needed the help. Well, if I wasn't directed by God, that lady wouldn't have got that help. Wouldn't have been reached out. So does it matter where I eat? Yes. Now, does that mean I've broken fellowship because I've chosen to eat at Burger King? No. But I may miss out on that reward, that that blessing of helping someone. Does that make sense? Now, when we talk about God's perfect will, it's something outside God's general will. General will is directed. There's no choice in the matter. You do this or the fellowship with God is not right. The perfect will is that God wants to use us and he wants to see things accomplished. He wants people to be reached using us as instruments. He wants us to help people. He wants to direct our path because there's people hurting all over and he's been working on them and there may be that one moment, that one time where they'll be receptive to someone talking to them about the Lord when they wouldn't be receptive any other time. How many times have we gone door knocking over the years and we knocked on someone's door and they're wiping the tears off their eyes and they answer the door and we talk to them. So we just want to come and pray for you. Is there anything we can do? And they just burst out in tears again and said, I need it this right now. I just found out this news. And they would only be receptive at that time. Any other time that they, someone would have reached them, they would have slammed the door in the face. I don't want you and your God. People do that, by the way. There's some times that God has been working on them. And if we didn't get them at that time, they would have never been reached. You understand that? So God can direct our path and he wants to use us. Someone said that all the decisions for the Christian is already made by God. We have the easy life. All we have to do is just say, yes, what do you tell me to do next? God will direct us. However, for these things, they don't disrupt our fellowship. Now, in this idea of permissive will comes the idea there's a lot of things of standards. Now, in the Bible, we have 
commandments. Very clear, distinct statements. We have principles, which it may not say in one verse, thou shall not, but it gives a very clear thing that you know, this is what I should do. Does it make sense? Now, with that, we make an application, and that's called a standard. A standard is something that we, how we apply. And standards can change from region to region, from time to time, from where they are. It is the application. Unfortunately, some people make standards commandments and say, Listen here, if you don't look the way that I think you should, you're not right with God. That's not true. Not at all. But it's you talking about our effectiveness and our usability towards God. Those are things that we apply. And so when are we not right with God? When we disobey his general will, his directed will, the things he's clearly said. Does it make sense? For talking about standards, talking about these other things, <laughs> bless God, if you don't go to Taco Bell tomorrow, you are wrong. That's not a true statement. All right? But... What we're talking about here is that God has something he really wants us to do. But there are some things that he says, you go ahead and make the choice whether to do it or not. It's not going to break fellowship. Does that make sense? So for the children of Israel here, you have the two tribes. By the way, a half a tribe decided to join with them after they got permission for this. They said, can we stay here? We know that God wants us to be here, but can we be here? And after they explained it, now Moses was originally afraid that they were trying to be disobedient. That's why he was questioning. Remember, they had Kadesh Barnea where the people came back and said, no, don't go in the land. And Moses was afraid that they were going to discourage everyone from going into the land. He didn't want to repeat of this. And he says, wait, 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 why are you even asking about this? Don't you understand? You can discourage your brother. You can discourage them from obeying God. You don't want that to happen. And they go, wait, 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 no, no. We're willing to obey God. I mean, we'll put cities. We'll protect our kids. We're just not going to bring our kids and our families. We'll go over and help fight the war. Once everyone gets settled, we'll come back. But this is the land we want. Can we do that? When they explained it, okay, that's acceptable. It may not be exactly where God wanted them to, but it's not going to hurt anything for them to be over there. Does that make sense? They had permission. Now, is that exactly where God wanted them? No. But they did not break fellowship with God because they didn't disobey his commandments. Does that make sense? This is what we talk about God's permissive will. For example, you have permission to wear different colors. It's not breaking God's fellowship. Bless God. Only people who wear white shirts. Are accepted here. Well someone may draw that standard. But. It's not. That's why people have different standards. Different churches have different things. Different homes. Have different rules. Different things. We may at our household may have different rules, different standards than you do. Does that may mean that we're holier than you? It just means we drew the line differently. We're still obeying the commandments. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you faithful to church? Then we're being obedient to those things. But there are certain things in our life. Sometimes we're just not taught. Sometimes those lines change the more we glow grow closer to the Lord, and we say, you know what? I want to draw this line differently because I want to stay close to God. Does that make sense? Some people say standards are guardrails. They just keep us within bounds. That's great. That's why if someone has a different standard than you, doesn't mean they're wrong with God. 
what happens is that they may have permission to do so, but they may be missing out. So you say, why follow God's will then? Why can't we just stay where it's comfortable in God's permissive will? Because we want to be more usable by God. There may, you know, for example, we have no rule that says I have to dress in a three-piece suit, okay? There's no specific rule that says I can't take off my tie. But why do I choose to do this? Am I wrong with God if I decide to take off my coat? No, I'm not. But because of the way that I've drawn my standard, I choose to do it because I want to earn more influence. There's an idea of respectability. There's an, you know, they've proven the unconscious thing. I can show up in jeans and a t-shirt and teach the Bible. But you know, it's an honest thing that people respond differently to me by dressing differently. And so I do it for the purpose of trying to influence people. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, What we're trying to do is we're covering permissive will. And so there are certain things that I choose to do in order to have more influence, in order to help people out, in order to try to be a blessing. But if I break those, I will not have them. So let's bring it down to the heart of the matter. Turn with me, if you don't mind, back to Numbers chapter number 32. You guys have been very patient, and I want to help out now. I want to bring this down to the crux of the matter. Notice with me in verse number 32, or 23, and I want to bring to this last idea. Numbers 32, 23. But if ye will not do so, talking about those things that they agreed to, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Now, even with God's permissive will, there were certain things that they had to do in order to stay in good fellowship with God. And if they didn't do that, that fellowship was broken. So let's cover these consequences. For God's good will, for God, or general will, for God's directed will, if I disobey that will, I have broken fellowship with God. I am no longer right with God. All right? So if I choose to lie, and I make that conscious choice to lie, I have broken fellowship with God. If it comes time in the morning where I make a conscious choice, Bible, Facebook, Bible, Facebook, Facebook. I've made a conscious choice. I, at that moment, I've broken the, the um, fellowship with God at the moment. I've broken against his general will, the will that I know that I'm supposed to do. Does that make sense? All right. With God's good and perfect acceptable will, God has given all of us something specific to do. And every day you could accomplish what God has given you to do. And you can know it and God wants you to know it. And primarily he directs you through the Bible. And you can ask God, God, what would you have me to do? And the more that you listen to him, the more he could direct you. Does it make sense? If you choose not to do God's will, then you're not breaking fellowship. However, you may be losing out on rewards. You see, everything that is done within our body as a Christian, we're going to stand before God and give an account. Even such things as God said, hey, I had ready this person over here, and you weren't listening to me. And because of that, you never got in contact with them. You're not going to hell, but you know what? They could have used that encouragement if you were listening. Does that make sense? We're missing out on the opportunities to try to help someone, to try to be an encouragement. And by the way, we get rewards for being obedient to the Lord. 
And remember, immediately the next thing on God's calendar is something called the rapture. God's going to call us away. After that, the seven years of tribulation, then Jesus Christ is going to come back. And for a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign. And by the way, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to be there. Now, most people think about heaven and all what a wonderful thing heaven is. And sometimes they like to put the attributes of heaven under the millennial kingdom. But do you know that not everyone is going to enjoy the millennial kingdom the same? Not everyone is going to be equal in the millennial kingdom. You say it's not fair. Well, it's based off of our service to God. Were you faithful to God? Then God will reward you there with a reward, faithfulness, ruling, helping him rule during the millennial kingdom. That's a big deal. There's going to be a lot of people who said, I'm saved, praise the Lord. What's your job? Well, I'm a street sweeper. This is all God can trust me with for a thousand years. Praise the Lord, I'm here. You understand, there's going to be some people that enjoy the millennial kingdom more than others. They're there, but it's still going to be a kingdom with people and whatnot. Can God trust you? What, how we, what happens there is based off of our faithfulness now. Can God trust you? Was you someone that says, you know what, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That's good enough for me. When you get to the millennial kingdom, God says, well, I'm glad. But you missed out. This is all that I wanted to do for you while you were on earth. And you missed out on it. Man, this is what I wanted you to do in your life. These are the exciting things I wanted you to see. And you missed out. That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? So you understand you have permission to do some things. And it may not seem like a big deal. But the Bible says, Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Meaning that when you plant a corn in the ground, guess what I'm going to get? Corn. Right? I'm not going to get tomato. I'm not going to get bananas. So I reap what I sow. Okay? Now, when I plant that corn in the ground, do I wait five minutes and it pops up? So what we understand is I reap later than what I sowed. And then when I put that one kernel of corn in the ground, I put it in there. When it pops up, this big plant comes up. Just one kernel is going to come up? No. I reap more than I sow. Does that make sense? Everything we do in life in our bodies... We are going to reap what we sow. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap more than you sow. And you're going to reap later than what you sow. The things that we sow for God. We're going to get those things back. We're going to reap those rewards of doing them for God. For those things that we decided to do for ourselves, Ignoring God. We're going to reap those things. And they're going to be emptiness. Does that make sense? What we're trying to talk about is that God has a good and perfect and acceptable will for you. There are some people who are in God's permissive will. They're not necessarily wrong with God, but they're not useful to God either. God wants you to be useful. He has a plan for you. And the race that you have is unique and special to you based off of your opportunities and your abilities. And God wants to use you. And I wanted to give you some encouragement from God's word just to tell you about God's will with the desire that I hope that you want to go to God and say, God, 
I want to accomplish what you've given me to do. I don't want to miss out on those things you want to use me for. Show me what my next step is. And that's what the prayer is. What's my next step? Then the next step. And the next step after that. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three oh six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.